1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of InvestorIdeas.com podcast. In today's podcast, I'll be going over a few public and private industry announcements, how legalization efforts in the U.S. and in Europe are continuing to move forward, as well as the continuation of cannabis seizures. Uh, So first today, starting with TPCO Holding Corporation, also known as the parent company, trading on the NEO as Graham.U, and the OTCQX as Graham F., is a leading consumer focused California cannabis company who announced the exclusive launch of cruisers which is an all-new all-fun no-frills brand that puts consumers first and offers everyday value on premium cannabis products Now, Cruisers combines the company's existing brands, which are Fun, Uncle, and Deli, streamlining these top-performing products into a single-consumer-centric destination. Now, by skipping the doldrums of the daily grind, Cruisers transports consumers to that carefree place where the bowl is always full. Uh, So this was available in California starting on Wednesday, March 22nd, and it's available at all of the parent-company-owned retail locations. Um, So Cruiser's offers budget pricing for various cannabis products in all key categories, including best-selling distillate and live resin vapes, whole flour, gummies, and pre-roll products, including the debut of Cruiser's new infused pre-rolls. Now, infused pre-rolls are one of the fastest-growing categories, according to Headset, and will be available in a one-gram single and the extremely popular five-pack mini formats. And Cruiser's new vape products utilize the same unique formulas and flavors that made Fung Uncle the number one selling value, uh, $20 to $30 vape in California, according to BDSA data. I'm thrilled to announce the launch of cruisers combining fun uncle and Deli, which are two of our most beloved and disruptive brands cruisers will continue to feature high quality products at a competitive value price point in our retail locations cruisers will be the best priced offering in every category it plays in said Troy Datcher, the CEO and chairman and board of the parent company. Now, the new brand name was inspired by fun uncle Cruiser's Vapes, which quickly became the number one selling vape in the value segment. And as we continue to prioritize building our portfolio on the top tier brands, we are committed to serving our customers' most essential needs through innovative and consistent brands. Uh, to celebrate the launch of cruisers, the company will host a All Fun Fridays and store activations at uh, a variety of different locations in California. Um, you can look at the list in the article, and it'll be today on Friday, March 24th. And the All Fun Fridays will run every Friday from March 24th through to April 14th at the uh, featured store locations. Um, so the only reason I bring up this announcement is, is if you've been paying attention to any of the discussions about the California cannabis industry or really any of the different state or Canadian cannabis industries at the moment, uh, the endless price dropping has become a big issue. There's a lot of different companies who are expressing their grief and sort of, you know, frustration at the fact that, uh, A, there's a list of companies that they have to compete with, which can always beat them on price points, so it's forcing lots of these legal retailers to continue to drop their prices. That being said... Um, there are some of these companies, for instance, like the parent company in this situation, which is able to actually survive with lower price points. They're using some of the recognition from their already successful brands. So looking at their fun uncle in Delhi, and then streamlining that into a lower price point product. Um, I do think that this strategy makes a lot of sense and there's a lot of companies within, different state markets and in the Canadian market that are following this same type of strategy. And it's just something to pay attention to when you're looking at the overall discussion around price is that as much as there's always going to be people who are going to complain and say that the price is too low, that they can't be competitive with this, um, that there's all sorts of issues... Realistically, when you're actually looking at what's going on, uh, most of the time there are companies who can survive at almost every price point. There's a lot of companies who are doing quite well at low price categories. There's a lot of companies who are doing quite well in the medium and the high-end price categories. And a lot of this really does come down to the you know continued discussion within the cannabis industry, which is quality. Um, so being able to create consistent quality control for any of your products and your brands and your strains that are coming to the market. And having that create the brand recognition, again, there's a lot of different companies who have tried different strategies as far as how to create brand recognition. The only strategy that seems to have actually panned out at all within the cannabis industry is just offering consistent, high-quality product. Um, There's really no way of skirting around that, and it does seem that the companies who are able to do this um, by focusing on maybe a smaller niche to start with, they can then slowly expand over time because people will then trust that brand and will try their new products that they're gonna to bring to market, even if they are at a lower price point or at a higher price point. And I do think that this is kind of what you have to pay attention to because there's an endless discussion, always you're hearing different companies, usually the biggest companies complaining that this price, you know, drop is, is killing us, it's killing different retailers, it's killing different businesses. Um taxation is and you know a lot of the sort of legal loopholes that these companies need to go through. That's the main killer for most of these companies when it comes to the actual price of production, when it comes to um, you know being able to stay competitive while offering lower prices. that actually doesn't really seem to be affecting the companies who understand how to you know maintain basic operations and work efficiently. Um, Again, some of the recent interviews we've had uh, with California operators have discussed exactly that, that there is actually a lot of ways for them to stay very competitive within this industry and to succeed quite well, um, even as the price continues to go down. So I think that this Cruiser's specific product is a great example of what companies are doing that is successful, which is, again, building out your brand of a simple, small amount of products to start with, You know, only offering a few SKUs, doing those SKUs very well. Um, as then consumer feedback grows, then you can expand it out. Okay, do you need to add a mid-category? Do you need to add a high price category, and et cetera? So it's a good example of what is working, and it does show that there's a lot of companies, both big, small, and medium, um, that are able to compete and stay successful within these markets, even as there is all of discussions around price. I think the biggest actual discussion Um, is around taxation and around really just how these industries are regulated. I think that's where you have to change things if you want to stay competitive with the illicit market. Um, But, you know, obviously I think regulators are aware of that. They just don't want to change their tune. Looking next at Green Bros Incorporated, who is the leader in post-harvest processing technology, who has announced the Holy Roller, which is an evolutionary leap in high-capacity pre-roll machines, and it can produce 3,000-plus cones per hour with unrivaled fill accuracy and consistency. Uh, There's a pretty good photo of how this machine looks um, if you check out the article at InvestorIdeas.com. It's very high-tech looking. has a lot of different components. The Holy Roller is the product of extensive R&D by an engineering team with over three decades of experience in cannabis and automated packaging, the machine achieves an impressive output rate of an unmatched consistency and only a .0012 density variance, and this is over 10 times more precise than any other pre-rolled machine on the market. When we decided to pursue automation of making the perfect joint, we knew we needed something to design with the real-world properties of cannabis in mind, said Colin Reichart, Greenboro's CEO. We focused on consistency, which is the lifeblood of our brand, And on what consumers desire, pre-rolls packed densely or evenly and filled with a coarse grind from proper airflow. And we're proud to release a machine that delivers on all of those qualities, producing cones that are not only identical, but provide the same great user experience every time. So to achieve super accuracy and efficiency, the Holy Roller uses active weighing technology and proprietary cannabis separation technology, eliminating discrepancies in cone fills and cutting down on clogs. Pre-roll producers will be able to make joints ranging from 0.35 grams to a full gram with one universal cone, which allows them to fulfill multiple product SKUs and streamline ordering, storage, and inventory. Getting a better understanding of what's happening inside pre-rolls when consumers smoke them is vital for improving quality, and after extensive airflow testing, we found that the 3 millimeter grind allows for the air to travel through the length of the cone more effectively and efficiently and burn evenly, giving consumers a smoother smoking experience, said Raychart. The Holy Roller is a game-changer and gives pre-roll producers an edge in the highly competitive market, providing them with the perfect mix of quality, quantity, uniformity, And airflow to position their brand as the leader in a consistency. Um, And to accommodate different operational needs, the machine is available in two or four lane variants. So, obviously, if you've been paying attention to just the different sales sectors of the cannabis industry, um, pre rolls is always a huge category. It's one of the biggest product categories for sales in every market, no matter what happens, no matter what new products come onto the market, pre rolls continues to be. A massive market segment, infused rolls. You know, uh, there's different variations of that. There's obviously the pre-roll blunts, etc. But in general, what you're seeing is the majority of sales for most producers um, in almost every market that's available is still pre-rolls. And so, I do think that this is something that's severely lacking when you're looking at pre-roll technology. Um, again, when you're comparing this to sort of the cigarette industry, there's a lot more streamlining when it comes to pumping out a cigarette. Also, the demands from the cigarette you know, industry are very different from what's demanded from the cannabis industry. So it is very good here that um, the Holy Roller is actually focusing on a lot of these issues that we're seeing. When you are looking at um, you know, putting your pre-rolls on the market, you could have really great bud, but if it's rolled improperly, if it's not going to burn right, if you're not going to get the right inhale, this can affect the flavor, it can affect the overall experience, and then you are going to get judged on sort of how that pre-roll comes off. So this has been something that a lot of companies have been struggling with. A lot of companies have taken to different methods. Um, Small producers have honestly still just been doing this by hand in a lot of ways, or at least doing it in a very rudimentary way. So I do think that it's very neat to see something like this come out. Um, I'm very optimistic. Hopefully it will actually live up to expectations and you can see how this does affect the industry. And hopefully there will be a few other competitive products like the Holy Roller that come out because I do think that, you know, there shouldn't be a monopoly on any of these products. Hopefully there will be this type of innovation will force others to innovate and we're going to see more and more efficient and uh, sort of optimized pre-roll methods. I do like the sort of precision um, and focusing on the actual airflow And I do think that out of this, hopefully you'll see other companies come up with a similar product and hopefully they will have different variations as far as different grind methods, different airflow methods. Um, I think one of the biggest things I've talked about in a couple of podcasts lately was um, overall the quality of papers going on to the market. So when we talked to Hempico, um, which is a company in the US, I highly recommend checking out the interview because they did talk about actually creating pre-roll papers and blunt papers in-house in North America and having that production produced there as opposed to almost all the rest of the papers, which are produced either in the Philippines or China or different parts of the world where you don't really have quality control. Um, There's a lot of issues, you know, even some of the issues that have been raised were as people were talking about all the testing in cannabis, some of the papers were actually testing positive for heavy metals and different uh, chemicals, which isn't what you want to hear. And it's a big issue. So I think that Having a machine like this that's going to be precise will hopefully then force other people to be able to focus on other parts of the industry that do need um, sort of a bit of an overhaul, which is, like I said, looking at the actual papers themselves. I'd be interested to know what specific papers they have to use, if it's proprietary that only work with the Holy Roller, or if they're using, you know, a specific brand, if they're using raw, etc., um, but I do think that, again, when you're looking at what type of innovation needs to happen for the industry to really get scaled out, um, and also for a lot of these companies to be able to compete when you're looking at you know, different costs for your, your business structure, um, being able to just pump out you know, 3,000 pre-rolls an hour is going to be a huge benefit for any small, medium, or large size company. Um, depending, obviously, on the cost of these machines. But they do have different pricing options available. And again, as these machines get popular, hopefully there will be other competitive options which will lower the price. But uh, I do think that this is a step in the right direction. And it's one of the better pre-roll machine technologies that I've seen come out in the market. Most of them seem mostly based off of cigarette rolling technology, which, again, has very different factors to consider. It doesn't burn the same way. So when you're looking at what you want from, uh, you know, a pre-rolled joint, it's very different than what you want from a, you know, standard cigarette. The burn, the overall look, feel, everything needs to be fundamentally different. So it's nice to see companies looking at this, and hopefully it continues to move forward. Um, Now... There's obviously been a lot of discussion around legalization in the U.S. There's lots of different back and forth between bipartisan bills getting pushed forward, bipartisan bills getting rejected, different people talking about this, that and the other. Biden getting criticized for not pushing forward with some sort of federal rescheduling, the bullshit about the current demand for more research, more data, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there is an interesting development. So in a recent article from Marijuana Moment, and I highly recommend checking out Marijuana Moment to uh, see some of their articles. They have great resources there and a lot of uh, really fantastic like graphs that show everything in much more detail. Um, you can click the link attached to the article. Again, Founder Investor Ideas. But they discussed how recently the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America, so the WSWA, has officially endorsed the legalization of marijuana at the federal level and has released a policy paper that outlines regulatory priorities to support this effort. So the association suggests that regulations for marijuana should follow the model of alcohol and to promote industry competition innovation and public safety now the wswa acknowledged that the federal regulations should not replace state established regulations entirely but some level of federal oversight and taxation could help support state programs and promote normalization of the cannabis industry i think the biggest thing um, that everyone wants is for federal endorsement because of banking access that's the biggest thing that is still massively hindering the cannabis industry in the u.s is the lack of federal access to funding the lack of federal access when it comes to advertising insurance etc um, so by allowing some sort of federal program to eventually exist I don't think people are really looking for um, you know maybe an overall legalization program but I do think a lot of the things that the WS WA does suggest are pretty commonplace and it's good to see people from the wine spirits industry um, actually actively promoting this. So Americans have confidence in our regulated alcohol system and our experience can benefit lawmakers creating a U.S. adult use cannabis market, WSWA CEO Michelle Korsmo said in a press release last Friday. Now the WSWA members have successfully partnered with suppliers and distributed socially sensitive products to locally licensed retailers for the last century. The U.S. alcohol marketplace is the safest and most diverse in the world because of the smart and enforceable federal regulatory model that ensures public, or sorry, product integrity, efficient tax collection, and public safety," Cosmos said. Now, obviously, you could have some debates about that. I'm, I've mentioned, you know, the different things that are related to alcohol when it comes to emergency room admissions, when it comes to domestic violence, when it comes to just overall. Um, drug addiction. Alcohol is actually the ultimate gateway drug, much more so than cannabis ever could be. And there's a lot of different, obviously, aspects of alcohol in the US and in North America in general that have a lot of negative side effects. That being said, it is regulated, it is legal, there's lots of good businesses out there. There's amazing craft brew markets, there's amazing whiskey distillers, there's amazing winemakers, and a lot of the products that are coming out are actually quite beautiful and amazing to actually enjoy. Um, Just as many people are enjoying alcohol responsibly as there are people who are, you know, suffering from alcohol use. And also, as we've seen, prohibition of any sort really doesn't work to actually stem or slow down the abuse of any product. So realistically, some sort of federal endorsement of cannabis is necessary eventually. Um, So they detailed four key principles for federal oversight, Uh, one being federally permitting of cannabis producers, importers, testing facilities, and distributors. Uh, So the association said that states should manage licensing for marijuana retailers, but it recommended the federal government require permits for cannabis producers, importers, testing facilities, and distributors through the Department of Treasury, Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, so the TTB. Um, approval of regulation of cannabis products. Um, Again, that would come through the TTB, so obviously they do have their own Agenda in this and that uh, for alcohol industries to stay competitive with cannabis. Obviously, they want it to be in a legal structure that they already have currently navigated, so they have the advantage over cannabis producers. They can also be hired on consultants, um, and they can buy out cannabis companies, which we've already seen. Many alcohol-based companies are heavily invested in cannabis companies, so. As much as this is a good thing, obviously it is somewhat of a biased thing in that they want to make this system more beneficial to the alcohol industry so that way they can out-compete cannabis companies within their own space um, just by knowing how to navigate this system that they're, again, basically suggesting, which is their system. Uh, So an efficient and effective collection of federal excise tax, um, which is pretty basic, and effective measures to ensure public safety, And the one thing that I did like was just to have um, a uniform and standardized product packaging, which I do think is very basic. I think that's one of the things that when you're looking at the state-by-state regulations, having a federal, um, you know, minimal sort of packaging description, I think is how you can massively endorse this industry and get it to go from being kind of fringe to something that's very regular. And, I mean, again, not just for you know, safety and all that crap, but just for basic understanding. So people know what they're buying, just like how wine labels are regionalized all over the world. When you go to Italy, when you go to France, when you're buying wine in America, when you're buying wine in Canada, all of them have specific labels and they have to show certain things and they have to give you basically a, you know, not the ingredients, but a basic understanding of what you're purchasing. And that becomes standardized for each of these regions of the world. And then there's standardized global um labeling sort of demands and i do think that for the us um in canada i don't think we've done a great job of our standardized labeling i think there's a lot of issues that have been raised multiple times but i think in general having a standardized labeling system at least of a bare minimum of what needs to be shown you know obviously thc percentage i think would be the big thing for everybody um talking about the specific strain talking about how it's grown talking about where it's tested those things, I think, are very basic, and if you had that, it would allow for a lot of the illicit market to have difficulties when it came to competition, um, because they're not going to pay for those labels. They're not going to want to put them out there, and once people get used to seeing a standard label on everything, they will begin to distrust and um, you know eventually move away from the illicit market. This is what you see with alcohol. Um, Again, people like to just kind of understand what they're buying. They want to know what they're getting. And I do think that that's probably one of the most basic things that the federal government could eventually do once they endorse some sort of federal program um, for legalization or rescheduling is at least to allow that cannabis products can be sold in different areas. It's still regulated by the state. Just have a standard label of what's included, what you're actually getting, Um, and you know, the taxation and those other things, I think that's going to take a long time. I think it would be somewhat unfortunate if the TTB was, you know, the end all department that takes over this, because again, then the alcohol and tobacco industries would have a big jump. Um, and on the other side, you're seeing pharmaceutical companies push for the opposite where they want this to be strictly regulated, you know, as a medical industry. Um, And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, there is medical and recreational sides to this industry. So you could see it possibly going both ways where, you know, to get medical license, you have to basically go the pharma FDA model, which we know has a lot of issues within it. And if you want to go recreational, you have to basically go through the alcohol and tobacco industry with the TTB, which both those options sound fairly unfortunate, but they're most likely going to be the actual reality. So I'm sure this is what most companies are preparing for. Um, but again, if you're just looking at what's going on as far as movement for legalization in the U.S., it is a good sign to see these types of papers get put forward by the WSWA. Um, and I think that in general, this shows that we're heading towards a direction where this is going to be happening within the next couple of years, because it just can't be postponed any longer. There's too many industries in too many states right now to not have some sort of federal policy on cannabis and to still be criminalizing um, certain businesses or certain trade things or still penalizing people in different ways at a federal level just doesn't make sense anymore. When you could look at the amount of states that have either a recreational or medical or both, um, it's fairly ridiculous and still allowing the states to basically endorse whether they have recreational medical um, or not, I think is still Fine. You don't really need to change any of that. You do need to deschedule it and allow for banking access to come in. Be allowed for insurance to come in, especially for the medical, um, and as well, you know, do some basic things. Do standardized packaging, which I think, like I said, is is kind of the very least that should be happening. Now, in other legalization news from Europe, we see that there's renewed push for legalization efforts there as well as germany is now expected to introduce a bill to legalize marijuana in the coming weeks Um, it's largely decriminalized in germany but the bill would declassify cannabis as a narcotic allowing citizens over the age of 18 to carry up to 30 grams or just over an ounce for personal use and residents would also be allowed to legally grow up to three marijuana plants in their homes and cannabis products could be sold in licensed stores so a more stringent model of what we see in Canada but at least pushing forward in the right direction and it makes sense that they'd be following similar to what's going on in Canada just because so many of the companies that are in Germany and were initially in Germany um, were Canadian companies. Meanwhile in Zurich in Switzerland both the city and the University of Zurich will launch a study titled Zurich Cannabis with Responsibility that will examine the possibilities and effects of the regulated sale and consumption of the drug among a test group of 2,000 residents. Now, Switzerland has allowed for the sale of medical cannabis with less than 1% THC since 2011, which is a bunch of bullshit, and the country decriminalized recreational cannabis possession in 2013, but even consumers caught with less than 10 grams can still be fined. Now, the authors of the Zurich study hope to provide real-world evidence to support policymaking efforts, and the results could help draft regulations based on levels of cannabis use that promote individual and public health and safety. Similar studies with universities are planned to roll out in the coming months. Um, and there's a bunch of other cities in Switzerland that are also rolling out similar studies. And France is undergoing a trial program expected to be completed on March twenty of, 2020, of March of 2024, providing free medical marijuana treatments to 3,000 patients. And the country currently only allows cannabis-derived medicines for medical purposes and has a strict approach to recreational use country's policies have mellowed though and in 2018 France passed new regulations that reduced the penalty of possession of marijuana to a fine of approximately 200 euros. Um, So it's good to see that at least for Germany uh, things are heading in the right direction. Again their legalization bills don't look the best as far as there's still a lot of weird and strict regulations that aren't really based off of anything other than just sort of random stigmas and paranoia about cannabis. Which I always find is kind of funny that most of the people who are anti-cannabis are already very paranoid themselves. So obviously, I guess that's their reason for hating cannabis is if they smoked it, they'd be so paranoid they'd lose their mind because they're pretty crazy without the weed. Or they are smoking weed secretly and that's why they're paranoid about it. They don't want to get caught being exposed. Who knows? But it's always a little strange to me of how freaked out people are by cannabis when, again, there's thousands of drugs on the market from pharmaceutical companies, there's alcohol, there's tobacco. um, Sugar is absolutely killing people all the time. Again, one of my last podcasts, I did the death toll numbers comparing sugar, alcohol, tobacco, car accidents, coconuts, peanuts, all these things, and how if you actually look at it, there's uh, no deaths that are directly related to cannabis. There are things that get kind of bungled into cannabis related things is in their suicides and things like that. But again, when you look at the statistics, suicide numbers don't change whether you ingest cannabis or not, it's just a random thing of you might go crazy one day. Um, It turns out people go crazy without drugs all the time, and some people go crazy with drugs. It's just how you want to go crazy, it seems. But there's not a lot of direct correlation between cannabis use and sort of mental breakdowns. Again, some people who smoke cannabis have mental breakdowns, but also an equal amount of people who don't smoke cannabis have mental breakdowns. So that's not really saying that much. And again, there's never been a reported overdose of cannabis, just like there's never been a reported overdose of psilocybin or acid. But these are all the drugs that are very scary. Um, And again, when you look at the actual reality, there's real data that supports that cannabis, when introduced on a medical level, actually prevents deaths. So cannabis actually saves lives in areas where it is endorsed medically. And you could just say that, that we're just going to endorse it medically. We don't even need to have recreational, just pure medical access, have the sort of loose Medical dispensaries, just like you have with almost all other medicines. There's people who are over prescribed for every other type of medication, and people die from all those other medications because they can overdose from them. Whereas with cannabis, you just can't. No one has done it so far. People have really tried. People have really been smoking a lot of weed for a long time, and somehow nobody's overdosed, um, which I always find is just insane. But again, when you're looking at this, um, It's good to see that these things are happening, but it's also so embarrassing at the same time to see that these discussions are still happening. You're doing a 2,000 or a 3,000-person study with cannabis responsibility. Well, you have entire states with millions of people. So to even say that that 2,000-person or 3,000-person study makes any sense is just preposterous because there's real-world evidence from California, which has a population of 30-plus million people, Um, you know, Canada— 30 plus million people we have multiple states with million higher populations Um, and each of those states you have medical operations which have absolute you know massive amounts of data from all of their patients Um, you have police data that supports different things you have driver safety data that reports different things you have all of this information from high density populations this is you know excluding South America which has their own cannabis programs in operation um, you know and again all of the information coming out of Israel which has over 60 years of data which just why talk about that, right? This 2000 person study is going to show you all the information you need. I'm sure it'll be really well done. I'm sure it won't be specific to which cannabis they use. I'm sure it'll pay lots of attention to different THC amounts, you know, different people from different backgrounds, probably not probably fail at all those things. But at least they are doing something. It's just very crazy and very idiotic that they're still playing these games of, ah, we need a new study from the University of Zurich. That's going to give us the information about cannabis, not the 60 plus years of information that absolutely supports the legalization of cannabis, at least on a medical level. Like I said, recreational I understand that aesthetically it's annoying because it smells. And I'd say that that's probably the only legitimate complaint you could make about recreational is that people don't like it in their face. And there's not a lot of ways currently to consume cannabis. And cannabis consumers like to smoke it. That's it. You know, I love the beverages, I love the edibles, I love all the things, but I still just aesthetically love joints. I love smoking a joint out on a walk. A lot of people around me still don't like it because it smells strong. And that's it. And people see smoke and then they think about tobacco and all of the stigmas attached to tobacco and cigarettes attached with cannabis when it comes to just smoking anything. Um, So I do think that that'll always be an issue. But as far as, you know, cannabis as a risk or how it's going to affect your society or all these things, there's just an abundance of positives that have been proven time and time again. And there's really no data that actually supports a lot of these negative claims that come out of, oh, all these people are going to be impaired drivers just running off the road everywhere. What we see is, yes, more people are charged with impairment because there are more roadside tests. Um, But that doesn't necessarily equate to there's more accidents or that there's more actual risk that's going on at the same time. It's just what you're looking for now. Um, So lastly today... Looking at cannabis seizures, which continue to be a huge thing. So as you're talking, you know, we're talking about legalization and trying to get rid of a lot of the stigmas around this. And even as people are pushing like the Last Prisoner Project, which I've talked about a bunch of times, if you paid attention to any cannabis companies, you know, that a bunch of them are supporting projects like that. Try to get people who have had nonviolent cannabis convictions out of jail because it's just ridiculous um, because at the end of the day, they're selling a product that people want it, and this product wasn't dangerous; it wasn't killing anybody. Um, yes, if you were, you know, part of the cartel and you're killing people, I understand. Keep that person in jail. That's a very different scenario than someone who's simply, you know, selling an ounce of weed here and there out of their car and growing it from their house. And those people are still, in the vast majority of cases, still in jail, um, still slowly getting out. There's a lot of different, you know, activist groups that are trying to help change this but at the same time we're still seeing lots of seizures Uh, so in one piece of recent news last week on march 18th as a result of vigilance of staff members a package containing contraband and unauthorized items was seized on the perimeter of the federal training center which is a multi-level security federal institution the contraband and unauthorized items seized were 177 grams of marijuana 119 grams of hash five grams of cocaine 4 grams of cannabis wax, and 441 grams of tobacco. Total estimated institutional value of the items was $47,000. So, big bust. Big crazy bust. Now, the Correctional Services of Canada uses a number of tools to prevent drugs from entering the institution. These tools include ion scanners, drug detector dogs, and personal property, inmates, and visitors being searched on a regular basis. Now, the CSC is heightening measures to prevent contraband from entering its institutions in order to help ensure a safe and secure environment for everyone. And the CSC also works in partnership with the police to take care action against those who attempt to introduce comptand, contraband into the correctional institutes. Uh, so, I think it's kind of funny when you see correctional institutes get contraband coming into them. Um, I also think it's kind of ridiculous that people who are, again, already in this system aren't allowed access to a legal product, also a legal product that makes you more relaxed. I don't see what the negative side effect, it's a strange question or a strange conversation when you're looking at, you know, what we're doing with cannabis, it's a legal product. Um, And I understand not introducing alcohol into any sort of correctional facility population or into a prison population because alcohol is known to really amp up the fight juice and everybody cannabis on the other hand is really known to do the opposite of that so For me, I find it an interesting thing of as you're looking at how this discussion around how do we get these people out of jail continues and do these people deserve to get out of jail when it comes to we're all celebrating this legal product in lots of different states and in different countries and we're all pushing for legalization. There's still people just sitting in jail for just selling this stuff or for growing this stuff. And also do those people in jail and do just people in general in all correctional facilities, should they be allowed access to cannabis? Um, one of the more interesting interviews that we had was with um, the one guy from New York who does uh, basically helps people on parole get their jobs again, um, has his conbud uh, company, and he talked about how, you know, As people are coming off parole, they still can't get access to weed. They still, you know, if they test for this, that they could still end up going back to jail. And obviously some correctional facilities are changing that. But I also think it's interesting of why shouldn't some of these facilities be working with different medical cannabis producers? to actually look at, well, could we actually calm down a lot of these people by giving them access to weed? Would we maybe have a more relaxed prison system if people were high and kind of relaxed most of the time? Maybe they wouldn't feel as crazy, wouldn't you wouldn't have as much gang institutions within the prison system. You wouldn't have had as much prison violence and rape and all these other crazy things that go on. Um, you know, I understand no cocaine and, you know, no alcohol. Those things make sense. But it is interesting because when you look at cannabis research, a lot of what it helps deal with is stress, anxiety, PTSD, um, you know, violent tendencies, a lot of these things, mental trauma. It can help with a lot of these. Same with psychedelics. And it would be interesting as if we're actually interested in actually rehabilitating people who go to jail, this would be something to look at. Is maybe they actually should get access to these medical products maybe they'd actually be one of the best test groups to look at as far as, oh, this actually does make you a less crazy person, you actually sit and become introspective and think about the things you did, how you ended up in this situation, how you want to change. Um, And it's a weird thing. So as I was looking at this seizure news, I couldn't help but think, but yeah, we should probably be getting weed into prisons and into correctional institutions, because that's probably the best thing to help. Calm these people down, um, even for the guards and even for the people working there. This would probably make them a lot less anxious, obviously, maybe not on duty, but at least when they're going home, they should probably have access to this. And again, there's a lot of medical programs and a lot of medical research groups out there that could work hand in hand with them. Um, This could provide all the great data that everybody needs so bad. And uh, you would also possibly have real, 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 real rehabilitation take place. Um, which I think is supposedly the goal of the whole prison system thing, is that people come out of there being like, I'm not going to go back to doing that same shitty thing. And, uh, you know, also, this would be a great way for people from that prison system to eventually go and work into these medical programs because a lot of them fucking grow the stuff better than a lot of the other people who are out in the open market today. So they have a a massive talent roster as far as people who would know what good weed is. Uh, I think it'd be one of the, you know, to see in a amazing utopian society where people actually get their shit together and we see the best options unfold. I think that would be the ultimate, you know, moment to show that the war on drugs is really over and we all admit that this was stupid is to have a, you know, actual prison program working with a cannabis company to get people out. Like I said, like Conbud. His is more of a small scale one and it is still very amazing. But I think that you could go even further with that. And actually, again, start using cannabis and psychedelics as a rehabilitation tool, which would be, uh, you know, quite amazing to see. And then looking at other things in BC News, the Community Safety Unit from the Ministry of Public Safety and the Solicitor General in British Columbia recently confiscated virtually the entire stock of the Victoria Cannabis Buyers Club. Now, the club's founder, Ted Smith, stated that between 80,000 and 100,000 were the products were taken. The club serves about 3,000 people per month. Ah, that's like, you know, that entire Zurich study or the entire French study. So, it's like they have some sort of data that they could already provide on how this helps people. Now, people count on our medicines for a range of conditions from cancer to chronic pain to epilepsy, arthritis, and diabetes. What a bunch of pieces of shit, eh? Getting their medicine. How dare they? The Community Safety Unit is responsible for enforcing the Cannabis Control and Licensing Act and focuses on the illegal production and sale of cannabis. Investigations revolt from proactive strategies and in response to complaints received from the public, government agencies, police, legal market operators, and others. Most likely this was the legal market operators. I can't imagine a lot of people within the public who have known about this uh, Victoria Buyers Club since the 90s. And it's one of the longest-standing institutions there. um, You know, would be very upset suddenly. Overnight that, uh, oh, they're still selling the weed that they've been doing since uh, 1996. But uh, anyways, all along the aim has been voluntary compliance. And we have been very clear that an ounce of legal cannabis, sorry, that once legal cannabis retail outlets became operational in the community, the illegal retailers would face enforcement activities from the CSU. Now, Smith said the organization is different from marijuana retailers because it provides a higher level of advice and offers locally sourced products. And the club has been fined $6.5 million for selling marijuana illegally at its previous location on Johnson Street, and the fine is currently under appeal. The organization is Canada's oldest compassion club and has been selling cannabis products openly since 1996. In January of 2020, Victoria Council passed a motion supporting the club's request for an exemption from the province's cannabis regulations, which came as the club was advocating for changes to the rules regarding production and sale of medical marijuana. And this is another story we've heard a bunch of times over, uh, especially in Canada, of sort of the gray market or um, legacy market, you know, buyer's clubs or medical dispensaries, whatever you want to call them, basically trying to keep existing because... People just prefer going there. They like the staff. They like the training. They understand the groups who are selling them. Um, The people who work there have really good standards when it comes to their weed. They're not bullshitting around. They are people who legitimately care about this for medical reasons, but they don't pay the right license or they can't get the right license from the city, blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of different reasons, and then they have all their shit taken. Um, This happens a lot of the time. Uh, it's pretty sad that this continues to go on and again when you're just looking at the kind of logic of who we're going after here this just doesn't seem like the group of illicit uh, cannabis sellers and buyers and everything that the government is really trying to stop. I just can't imagine that you know the Victoria Cannabis Buyers Club is really just screwing over all the recreational retail stores in victoria i know that they're still making sales they're still doing well i'm sure that somebody got you know pissed off because they were able to compete with pricing or something or they provided better quality weed or somebody said something in their store said i like going there more because the staff know better then they got pissed and all of a sudden we got to take all the shit from these people meanwhile i mean there's about maybe a couple thousand. Um, different online stores that you can just quickly Google. If you look up BC Cannabis, literally hundreds of results show up. They're all selling random stuff online all the time. They deliver it right to your house. Pricing is amazing. Quality is amazing. I've bought some myself. It's quite good. It's really hard to compete with. Um, None of those have been shut down. Very few of them are even, you know, we're even putting in efforts to shut any of them down. And those are kind of, you know, kind of stick-it-in-your-face illicit operations. This one, like they have, it's it's a buyer's club. So people are registered. Like they have a lot of things that are going on there that they could just quickly look and say, well, instead of finding you this amount of money, like instead of taking a hundred grand worth of your product, why don't we just look at how do we license you? How do we just take taxation from you on a yearly basis that makes proper sense? And I'm sure they actually were paying taxes because most of the time these businesses still operating. Uh, you know, fairly normally, they're just not paying the specific licenses or getting the specific approval in these, you know, little areas. And then all of a sudden, all their shit's taken away. And again, if we are talking about what is the purpose of legalization, is it to stop these people? Or is it to stop, you know, cartels and hell's angels and different actual criminal organizations from selling drugs to, most of the time, you know, high schoolers or random people. But I understand stopping criminal enterprises that also involve killing people and all sorts of other crazy shit. These groups aren't them. I just can't imagine that the, you know, Victoria's Cannabis Buyers Club is secretly run by the Hells Angels or is secretly murdering people on the side or is also selling meth or doing something else very sketchy. They're probably just doing what they've been doing since the 90s um, and supporting their local community and trying to give people access to medicine and trying to do this in an honest and normal way. And unfortunately, they're penalized because the system doesn't accommodate businesses like them. They fit into an odd category, which we don't have any sort of regulations to allow for. Um, Again, you can't sell weed at a farmer's market, but you can sell all sorts of other things and you can do all sorts of other things. And you know, some of these companies that are legal in Canada have had their products taken multiple times for failing testing or for coming from illegal sources or all these different things. But we just hear this discussion forever and, It's kind of ridiculous where as you see this industry push forward, there still are these stories of cannabis seizures all the time coming from either a small scale to a large scale. And the discussion is always the same of it's just random that they just decide to basically be like, "Mm, we got to make an example out of this person today for some reason and take all of their shit. And, uh, you know, for this institution in Victoria, uh, you know, it's existed for almost 30 years now. Most likely this could be a death sentence for it if they have to pay this fine or if they can't get access to the product again or if they get another seizure. And again, that is 3,000 plus people a month. Um, who now don't have access to this or now have to go to a different store. Again, when you're looking at medical access in Canada, it's quite limited. And this is the same in almost all markets where recreational comes online as you just don't see the same time and attention given to the medical community. And also people distrust the traditional medical community. If you're going into the cannabis industry, uh, if you're you're seeking out medicinal cannabis, usually it's because you've been burned by the traditional pharma-based medical institution that exists. You're usually moving away from... You know, the traditional go to a doctor, go to sh- shopper's drug mart, go to this pharmacy place, and you're going to deal with a pharmacist who doesn't know shit about dick with cannabis. They're just going to tell you, oh, well, this is what you get for this, and they're reading it off a basic label. They only have a couple strains available. They have limited types of products, and they just don't know the same things. and They're not interested in the same things as groups like the Buyer's Club here are they are they're actually quite invested. they've risked their very you know lifehood on this. They're not doing it oh just because you know it's such a good good such a good money operator. I'm sure they are making money, but there's a lot of risk for them that they're taking on in order to keep providing this service and The other options for most of the people who are looking for medical cannabis in Canada is to go to the traditional medical system and there they're not going to get the same care and attention that they would from these types of organizations. And this is kind of always the problem. And as I was discussing earlier, when you're talking about, you know, the alcohol industry endorsing legalization efforts is it's neat. But at the same time, we really don't want to see cannabis turn into either alcohol and tobacco or pharmaceutical based models. We want it to turn into its own individual thing that has a different sense to it and a different structure to it because the alcohol and tobacco industries have fucked over a lot of people. The pharmaceutical industry has fucked over a lot of people. That's why they're moving to cannabis. So it's quite uh, disheartening sometimes to see that this is continued news. It's not something that happens randomly and not very frequently, but it's something that happens on a weekly basis, usually multiple times in multiple parts of the world. And even as legalization efforts move forward in all parts of the world, there's still this stupidity to deal with. And this is always kind of the information and news people look at and try to point to as far as opposition to cannabis legalization is. Look at what's going on here. They're still seizing all this illegal weed. There's so much illegal weed going on. But nobody actually reads the full articles and finds out what information is actually being, you know, divulged in any of them. So somewhat unfortunate, but... In the meantime, businesses are continuing to operate and continuing to go forward. That's all for today's podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. That's all for today's podcast. Podcast is now a certified word trademark on the blockchain through Cognate Incorporated CM certification. InvestorIdeas.com podcasts are also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and TuneIn. If you'd like to be a guest or sponsor of this podcast, please contact InvestorIdeas.com. Investor Ideas reminds all listeners to read our disclaimers and disclosures on the investorideas.com website. And this podcast is not an endorsement to buy products or services or securities. Investors are reminded that all investments involve risk and possible loss of investment. Investor Ideas does not condone the use of cannabis except where permissible by law. Our site does not possess, distribute, or sell cannabis products.